Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a uh, program today that's completely dedicated to uh, the 60th anniversary of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s only visit to Seattle, Washington. And it was uh, facilitated by his relationship and friendship with the late Reverend Dr. Samuel Berry McKinney. Uh, they were classmates at Morehouse for one year. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was eight, 14 years old. The next year, uh, Dr. McKinney got drafted into the military during World War II. But uh, there's a lot that's going to be going on. And the person that's did the outstanding job in organizing this whole commemoration is Lanisha de Bartleben, who is the president and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum. And uh, Lanisha has put together an outstanding team. I'm, I'm a, one, of the, one of the volunteers on the team. So uh, it's a three-day event. And Lanisha, I want you just to take your time so our listeners will understand uh, how much is involved in this three-day event. So uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest once again. Thank you so much for what you do. And uh, go ahead and let our inform our people on what's going to be happening. Well, good afternoon to you, Eddie, and to all of the listening audience. I begin by just honoring you, saluting you, and celebrating you, Eddie, because you really were the inspiration behind the Northwest African American Museum bringing community together to really mark the 60th anniversary of Dr. King's 1961 visit to Seattle. Eddie, you have led the way for over 40 years for this community to give due credit and due honor to the one and the only Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You led the way for the county to be renamed after him. You led the way for us to have a park in his name, a street in his name, and so much more. And so we just- It was a community effort. A whole bunch of people were involved in that, please. <laughs> now, Charlie James was the guy that led the way on uh, the park. And there were many other people. And I want to say that I have to give Ron Sims and uh, the Republican counter, I love it, Bruce Lang or Bruce Olson. In 1986, they had the county symbolically named uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. But 13 years later, there was nothing to indicate it was Martin. That's when we got busy. And Senator Adam Klein, God bless him, introduced legislation nine times before it passed. So uh, I want to make sure I give a shout out to all those folks. And Larry Gossett, always on the front line. So I appreciate I appreciate you, the accolades, but I have to be honest about it and let the people know who the players were. And uh, I mean, we had a, a huge community effort. So mm -hmm. now I want you to go ahead and tell these folks uh, what's going to be happening for these three days because people are really excited about Martin Luther King the third uh, being here and it's all because of your efforts and your organization in pulling that off. Thank you so much. Well, yes, it was truly a community of activists and advocates who uh, were, you all were the bridge between 1961 when Dr. King was here and 2021 now and the effort that we're doing to bring his son here for three days, November 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's this upcoming weekend, a 40-person uh, community planning committee organized three days of family-friendly, educational, empowering, inspirational, reinvigorating events to honor the life, the legacy, and the leadership of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in light of the three days that he spent here in Seattle. 
1961 when he was invited by Reverend Dr. Samuel McKinney of Mount Zion Baptist Church. So the commemoration will kick off on this Saturday, November 6th, with an opening ceremony. It will be held at one of the sites that Dr. King spoke at in 1961. He gave uh, a powerful talk to the students of Garfield High School in 1961. And so we will follow in his footsteps and open this commemoration up at Garfield. We will be having a hygiene for humanity supply drive that day because we're dedicating the opening day to honoring Dr. King's legacy of service, community service. And it will feature a variety of activities. We will have a DJ from KEXP. We will have a book giveaway, giving out um, children's civil rights books, free books, one written by Martin Luther King III about his father called My Daddy. And there will be uh, vaccinations uh, provided by uh, King County Public Health. And anyone who gets either the, the vaccine vaccination shot or booster will receive a $50 gift card during that time. We will have a variety of speakers during the opening ceremony, including elders who were here in 1961, who heard Dr. King speak, who um, engaged with him. Uh, one even dined with him while he was here. And so we will hear from the elders. We will also hear from the youth. We will have youth representatives speaking during the opening ceremony, the next generation of civil rights and social justice leaders taking the mic. And then we will hear words by Dr. King himself. We will have a moment of uh, reflection upon his words, a moment of silence, and then a moment of recommitting to those ideals that he lived and died for and that he still lives strongly in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. County, Washington. His legacy lives on here. And that's what this commemoration is all about. So it kicks off on this Saturday, Eddie. And then after Saturday, we will continue the commemoration on Sunday, November 7th. And that will take place at two o'clock uh, in the parking lot across the street from that sacred space called Mount Zion Baptist Church, the institution that brought Dr. King here in 1961. We will have a community prayer vigil featuring local clergy who will be um, sharing words of inspiration and powerful prayers uh, on all of the, the, the topics that Dr. King um, spent his life trying to advance, educational justice, health equity, economic empowerment, uh, political and, and voting rights, um, housing justice, peace from violence. Our local clergy will be praying for and speaking to where do we go from here? How do we move our community forward with the spirit of Dr. King regarding those topics? We'll also be discussing the eight sites that Dr. King visited when he was here in 1961 um, and just celebrating the path of, um, of Dr. King's influence on Seattle. 
We will have musical performances by the Northwest African American Museum's African American Cultural Ensemble during that community prayer vigil. And everybody who attends will receive a uh, complimentary handbell that we'll all ring at the end of the prayer vigil to um, commemorate the commitment that Dr. King had to let freedom ring. We will recommit to that during this community prayer vigil on day two. And we're so grateful for the United Black Christian Clergy of Seattle. They're partnering with us. The uh, Church Council of Greater Seattle, Temple de Hirsch, uh, Mount Zion, and all of the faith communities are coming together on Sunday because Dr. King was first and always a Baptist pastor. Generations. Uh, the mantle was passed through the generations in his family, and he took that mantle and he lived his life by faith and in love. And so we will um, spend Sunday during in the prayer vigil. And then on Monday, November 8th, we will welcome to Seattle the eldest son of Dr. King. Martin Luther King III will be with us to share words and reflections with our entire community. And that will be held at the University of Washington, another location where Dr. King spoke in 1961. And we're so grateful to be in partnership with the University of Washington to host this um, historic uh, visit of his eldest son. And Eddie, we are so grateful that you will moderate the conversation with Martin Luther King III. You will be um, leading that, that talk uh, with him about his father's legacy here in Seattle and how where do we go from here now? Well, thank you for the opportunity. I wanna say that so, uh, now, in terms of uh, where he's going to be and what time he's going to speak, uh, we get, can we have that information up? Absolutely. So he will be speaking at 6 p.m. on Monday, November 8th at the Husky Union Building Lyceum. That's the hub building on UW's campus, 6 p.m. It is by ticket only. So you do have to register and you can register by going to the Northwest African American Museum's webpage at namnw.org and you'll find the registration link there. Uh, proof of vaccinations or proof of negative COVID testing within 72 hours of taking the test will be required for entry into all indoor events, as well as masks are required and a registration ticket. But it is uh, free and open to the public and those who are not able to be on site, we will be streaming this as well. So folks can tune in uh, and uh, watch Eddie Rye Jr. and Martin Luther King III be in conversation with one another. Well, uh, thank you very much. And uh, another committee member, a person who was a, a teacher and assistant coach at Garfield in 1961, who actually met Dr. King, is on the line with us right now. And that's not other than the Dr. Carver Gayton. 
So uh, Carver Gaten, welcome to the conversation. Uh, we have Lanisha on right now. Hi there, Dr. Gaten. Thanks for, thanks for having okay. me on, Eddie. I appreciate that. Okay, Lanisha's on with us. Hi there, Dr. Okay, Gaten. Hi, Lanisha. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for being on today. Well, glad, glad to be here. So um, let me know. Do you hear me pretty well? I, I had hoped to get on the, uh, the Zoom, but I didn't uh, work it out. Right, but I'm on the phone right now, and I hope I'm coming through clearly. No, you're coming through clearly. So, okay, uh, great. Well, I, I mentioned earlier in your introduction that you were at Garfield. Uh, we won't talk about all your other attributes and your uh, all your accomplishments yet. But uh, you were at Garfield uh, in 1961 when Dr. King uh, came through. So, uh, and you know, and the Gaten family has been around here since what 18 what man? You guys have been here forever. Uh, but anyway, the, the, uh, it's before we became a state. Right on the border of about 1888, 18, uh, 1889. But uh, it was before, uh, it was the latter part of 1889 when we became a state. My um, paternal grandfather came up from Yazoo, Mississippi, and, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. And so, um, and the rest, the rest is history. There you go. Well, uh, why don't you share with the, our, our listeners, first of all, uh, you were at Garfield that particular time in 1961. Uh, if you could give us some, uh, your your memories of uh, that visit and your meeting Dr. King. Yeah, well, what happened? I had uh, finished up doing some graduate work at the uh, at the university, uh, University of Washington. I played ball there, and uh, I also was a graduate assistant coach. And when I finished up some of my graduate work, I was all ready to go to uh, uh, into my field, and that was uh, that was education. I up until that time, I was working two jobs. Uh, I was working at, at Boeing on the swing shifts, and I was working as a substitute teacher. But I got the word, you know, from Garfield that they wanted me to come there to, to teach and to coach. And so I came there in the fall of 1961, uh, primarily as an English teacher. In fact, that's what I did, you know, for the first uh, semester uh, there. But I, my intention ultimately was to go into my major, which was uh, which was history, U.S. history, and so the latter part of that uh, of that year, moving on into the following semester, I taught contemporary problems and and U.S. history. So I was really glad to get back to uh, to Garfield. I was a little bit intimidated because practically all the teachers there were were uh, teachers that uh, taught me, you know, back when I graduated in 1956. And then um, while you were there, the most, and then and they also people need to understand there was also some turmoil about Dr. King's visit, not only to Garfield, but to the city itself. Uh, can you reflect on uh, any parents holding, uh, having their kids not attend school that, that day that Dr. King was speaking? Well, that, I didn't uh, get any feedback. I, I was one of the teachers who was, uh, you know, kind of. Um, assisting the students, you know, for the two, two assemblies that Dr. King uh, spoke to. But there's no question there was, uh, there was concern, not particularly at Garfield. In fact, the Frank Hannawalt, the, the principal at Garfield, was really enthusiastic about him coming up after having been uh, contacted by Reverend, uh, by Reverend McKinney. Uh, but the thing is, that the, generally speaking, with regard to the, the broader population, of Seattle, there was a concern about King because he was concerned. He, he was considered a rabble rouser by 
a, a good percentage of the white population. And, uh, and in fact, he was not invited by the city council or the mayor's office or the county council, you know, to uh, come. They didn't respond to him at all. In fact, there's one major church, the Presbyterian church, First Presbyterian Church uh, rejected him uh, from uh, speaking at their church. Uh, but you got to give it, to, you know, obviously to uh, Reverend McKinney and uh, to Frank Hannibal because they they bucked that issue with regard to the broader uh, population and said that we want him up here because, you know, he had been, you know, he he started that really the modern day civil rights movement, uh, certainly beginning at Montgomery, and uh, all that happened, you know, with regard, you know, uh, to that which started the movement toward the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964. And so he was making he was making things happen. When he came to uh, Seattle, it was the first time he had been to Seattle, and he had uh, concerns. I mean, even though there was uh, real problems, you know, in the South, he was very concerned about, uh, about the North. He didn't know, you know, that much about it. In fact, it was in New York, you may recall, that he almost was, uh, was assassinated. Uh, there, so he himself had some. You know, I, I had to believe some reservations about coming up, but you know he was not the, uh, you know, the broad, uh, uh, you know, uh, humanist that uh, people you know, see him, uh, you know, today as. I mean, both in the black and uh, white community, there was some uh, real concern about what was going to happen when he came up here, and I'm sure he had some concerns himself. Well, he only came once. I don't know if that's a statement or what. But uh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the implications were of, yeah. of, of that. But uh, but he only came up once. And, and Reverend McKinney, um, interestingly, he he was new in town. I only I think he came here in the uh, late nineteen 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 fifty eight. I think fifty eight. Yeah, yeah, fifty eight. And uh, I was just you know really honored. You know, I knew of him. Um, it was brand new, and I was uh, surprised when he asked me um, if he if I wanted to meet Reverend King, you know, right after you know both of the assemblies that that took mm-hmm. that took place. Um, and I thought it was just here I am a, a, a new guy that I was knowing a little bit about the, you know, about football and playing at Garf playing at football Garfield and and so on and so forth the family being here, but I. I found out, you know, later on that probably the major reason uh, may have been the fact that uh, uh, my mother's family, the Clark uh, Clark family, was well known in the Cleveland area. In fact, my great grandfather and great grandmother are buried in Oberlin, right down mm-hmm. the uh, right down the road. And my great grandfather, as you may know, was uh, very active as an escaped slave and active in the abolitionist uh, movement. And ran an underground railroad in, in New York, so he was uh, he was well known. But my mother knew of my mother knew of Reverend McKinney's father, who was a well known uh, pastor at the Antioch Baptist Church there in Cleveland. And I had you know I my mother had you know, aunts and uncles that were in that area, so she knew about him. She knew about him, and family knew about him. Didn't know anything about Reverend McKinney, and so that may have been passed on to Reverend Committee as to why, uh, you know, because of that family connection. Yeah, that well, that that would certainly make sense. Reverend McKinney was very astute. Uh, 
in terms of uh, the broader community, we mentioned the church that uh, that uh, rejected the the, uh, the offer uh, for Dr. King to speak. But the other thing at the University right. of Washington, uh, a member of Native American activist Hank Adams, he re recently passed away. Yeah, he was I, one of the I leading mean, negotiators. Anyway, Hank Adams yeah, was one of the, the folks. I remember the name, and I remember yeah. the uh, story, particularly you know, from you, as what transpired there. Why don't you give a little bit of background on that? Yeah, no, well, no, Hank Adams was a student at the University of Washington. He's one of the people that convinced oh, his professor I to uh, invite Dr. King out to speak. And I think it's very appropriate that, you know, since he did speak out there, that the Monday event, but I want to go, because Lanisha's on the line with us. Lanisha, I want to know if you have any questions or comments for your committee member, Dr. Carver Gayton. Absolutely, Eddie. Thank you. Dr. Gayton, it's amazing that you were there in that auditorium at Garfield High School and that you had a conversation with Dr. King um, behind stage after his, his talk. Can you tell us a bit about that one-on-one -on -one conversation you had with uh, Dr. King? What was said? What was felt? Just tell us, take us back to that moment. Well, the yeah, let me give you a little bit of background. The, the theme, uh, interestingly, the theme of his two speeches at Garfield was the American dream. And we know what happened in 1963 with the I Have a Dream you know, speech. So, so there was kind of a, you know, a, a, a means by which you know, Robert King was kind of testing that theme at Garfield High School and uh, how he built that up to that, that iconic speech that he gave in Washington, D.C. in 1963. So when I went backstage after the last speech, it was just me, um, Reverend King, and Reverend McKinney. And so I was introduced to him. And so here I was enthralled, you know, with him. And the, the two speeches were just uh, the, the most unbelievable resonating speeches I'd ever heard. And the passion that he reflected you know, uh, in those speeches was just unbelievable. I never heard anything like it. So here I am in this situation. I, you know, today everybody has a camera. Back <laughs> those days, no one had a camera, and that's one of the things I regret when I was introduced to him. But the but the interesting thing about the introduction, you know, to him was that you know he wasn't smiling or anything, uh, you know, of that sort. But he, but the, the first thing I noticed was his stature. The way he talked, he thought he was about 10 feet tall, but he was, he was even shorter than me. <laughs> but, and, and so here he had this unbelievable booming speech coming out of this, uh, this individual with something else. And then looking at his eyes, uh, I'll never forget, and I had mixed um, conceptions with, with regard to that. I, I initially thought, well, is there, is, there a, is there a fear? That certainly this man he wasn't fearful of anything. But I, I saw it, looking back on that, I saw it as a, as a man who was so committed to his story, you know, so committed to you know, delivering the message that you know, he was still wrapped up in the moment you know, in relation to what he did. Because those back-to-back -back speeches, had, you know, he had to reach down within his heart you know, to be able to you know, speak in that way. And you cannot... You know, come out of it because I was back there. You know, almost immediately after the last speech, and it was just uh, I was memorized, memorized in relation to how he he looked and um, and what he put that the uh, the story that came across from his expression 
on his face, you know, when I talked with him. So I shook his hand. Uh, you know, it wasn't a hard grasp, but I think he was still in the moment of that unbelievable speech that he uh, that he gave. Well, Dr. Gayton, we want to thank you very much, sir. Uh, you've been doing an outstanding job, and that was a significant contribution you made in terms of uh, reiterating some history of some person in Seattle that actually had a chance to meet Dr. King and have a conversation with him. And I like the way you dramatize where, like, he just finished speaking and he had to reach down. And uh, so it's absolutely amazing to hear that the Have a Dream speech probably got started at Garfield High School. So thank you very much today. You're welcome to hang around. Well, We're going to take a break. And then uh, we have uh, Dr. Laura Ellen McKinney come. So if you want to hang on, we'd appreciate it. I'll hang on. Okay. Okay. We're going to have a break and come right back. We can chat during the break. Thank you very much. And thank you, Lanika. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington, or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie, right back at Urban Forum Northwest talking about uh, the 60th anniversary commemorating uh, the only visit that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made to Seattle. And we've had uh, Dr. Uh, Carver Clark Gaten on, uh, Lanisha DeBartlebin. Uh, we we're trying to reach uh, Dr. Laurella McKinney right now. And so uh, we also have uh, Jason Turner on, who is a music director. So can we get him on for a few minutes, Lanisha? Absolutely. Delighted to introduce the Northwest African American Museum's education coordinator. He also is the director of the museum's African American Cultural Ensemble, also known as ACE. And uh, he can talk a bit about how the ACE Choir will be singing some of Dr. King's favorite songs during this three-day commemoration. Jason? Well, uh, Eddie, uh, well, I don't want to take any time from the, the, uh, the new guests that are coming in, but 
uh, we can uh, we can follow up later on. We're going to have a big weekend, and uh, Lanisha, continue doing the great work that that you're doing. I'm so proud to be a part of this whole enterprise. I tell you, it's uh, it means a, a great deal to me. But thank you so much for having me on. Thank you very much, Doctor. We appreciate it. Thank you, okay, Dr. Okay, now we can go to uh, okay. Mr. Jason Turner. So the Ace Choir is composed of about 10 to 13 members, sopranos, altos, and tenors. They're all from the uh, Black community. They're all African-Americans. And uh, they represent NAM, and they represent the community. And we are going to be singing some of Dr. King's favorite songs. One of those songs is Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around. And that song is so meaningful. Because even with the Black Lives Matter of today, from civil rights to today, truly that has been the mantra of African-Americans in this country. We ain't going to let nobody turn us around. Uh, we're going to keep on marching up to higher ground and marching to the day we die. You know, those kinds of things. And um, then the second song we're singing is, uh, actually the soloist is singing Precious Lord, but the choir is singing um, We Shall Overcome. But we're doing a uh, a version of it that's very uplifting. It's a fast-paced version of it. It's got that Pentecostal. It's the same song. We shall overcome. You know, we put a little beat to it. And so that's going to be great. Um, and we're going to be singing those both days, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then on Monday, Josephine Howell, who is also in our group, uh, is going to be singing two solos, Precious Lord and my living shall not be in vain. Aretha Franklin sang Precious Lord at Dr. King's funeral. Oh, excuse me, Mahalia Jackson sang Precious Lord at uh, Dr. King's funeral. And um, uh, my living shall not be in vain was one of uh, Dr. King's favorite songs. It embodies his, his life. If I can help somebody as I'm traveling along, then my living shall not be in vain. Now, you guys will be performing. Is this song going to be on Saturday, Sunday, or Monday? Every day, Saturday and Sunday with the Ace Choir, and then on Monday with Josephine Howell. Okay. Well, I love me some Josephine Howell. All right. You know she's going to tear it up. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Alicia, <laughs> we will be joined by uh, Dr. Laura Ellen McKinney shortly. So I want to give you an opportunity to give any updates, uh, anything that's going to be happening. Uh, folks have been asking me, well, when is Martin Luther King III going to be here? Is he just going to speak at the UW? Is there anything else that's happening? So I said, let me ask Anisha and she'll tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. So he is only going to be here on that Monday. That Monday, November 8th, is the exact uh, 60th anniversary date of when his father um, arrived and began his speaking circuit in Seattle. So he'll be here for that Monday. And uh, he is he's um, staying you know, at the same hotel that his father stayed at when his father was here. So it's just historic um, every step of the way. He will be uh, giving a press conference that will um, be uh, featuring a variety of press and media that will be engaged in conversation and interview with Mr. King, uh, but his keynote address is going to be that evening. He will um, be meeting with um, um, a few individuals during his stay here um, as a part of a coffee hour, but the broader event is that 6 p.m. keynote address that will feature him and many others 
um, celebrating the 60th anniversary of Dr. King's historic and transforming visit to Seattle. Seattle became a different city. Uh, I want to say that you have given up the information. Is there any way you could put up on your screen how people could uh, get tickets? Because it's by ticket only. If you don't have a ticket, you can't go. So I want to make sure all the folks that listen to this program have an opportunity. So if you could just also verbally give folks the information to get the tickets. And then uh, you also have social media. If you give folks the social media contacts uh, where they can also access that information. Because it'll be, they'll be going fast. I know that. Yes, absolutely, Eddie. Yes, we invite everybody who's listening and tuned in to go to NAM's website. That's www.naamnw.org and click on the MLK 60 flyer. It will take you directly to the event page where you can click to register and just share you know your name email address and you are registered it's that simple we are also inviting folks to follow the event on social media we'll be uh, having full coverage on all three days the hashtag is hashtag mlk60 and hashtag mlk in seattle this is we've been joined by dr laura ellen mckinney dr mckinney are you there I'm here. Sorry. Okay. I'm... okay, okay. We're on with Lanisha de Bartleman, the president and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum, who is the chief organizer of this whole three-day event uh, honoring, uh, commemorating the 60th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s only visit to Seattle. We know that was only because of your late father, the great Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney. And uh, so uh, we just wanted to, uh, first of all, I want to let Lanisha, have you met uh, Laura Ellen? We no. have not directly okay, met so, Dr. Okay, McKinney. So I want, it's an honor. Okay, so <laughs> I want you guys to start the conversation off to know each other. And then we can ask uh, Dr. Laura Ellen McKinney to talk about some of her memories, because I know her father shared a lot about his relationship with Martin Luther King Jr. So go right ahead, Lanisha, the oh, chief absolutely. organizer. Oh, thank you. Dr. McKinney, it's an honor and a delight to uh, speak with you today and to gather community, to reconvene community the 60 years later after your father brought the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. here to Seattle. And that visit changed our city in a sense. And so we honor and celebrate your father as we remember Dr. King's visit. There would not have been a visit if it were not for his Morehouse College classmate, his Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity brother, your father, Reverend Dr. Samuel McKinney. So we, we celebrate and, and honor him, and we thank you for being here today. Well, thank you very much. And you know, their relationship actually was long before Morehouse. Both of their fathers were ministers and took them to Baptist conventions. So they actually met when they were little boys at a Baptist convention somewhere in Ohio. I'm not certain exactly where. So they knew each other then. And then, uh, so they would see each other and they would spend time together because according to my father, there was just so much hot air that was blown off by these ministers, they wanted to escape. So his little boys went someplace else and would have conversations. And then we're in the same uh, Morehouse class. My father was a little bit older than King because one of the things that was happening was that this is wartime. And in Georgia, a lot, of, well, everywhere, a lot of the young men had already gone 
off to war, but there weren't enough students in college. So if you could pass a test, you could get in early, which is what King did. When my father was 17 and he was, he was 15. One of the stories that my father likes to tell about their time at Morehouse was that King was in the debate uh, club and lost every debate. He was terrible. He clearly got better. He learned something there, but he was, he was bad there. My father ended up having to go uh, into the army and King was too young to do, to do that. And then their other connection was that not only were their fathers both ministers, but at the point in time when they were both living, they were also the most important black ministers in the country. And so when a church that we now know in Montgomery needed a minister, they talked to the two of them and said, well, your sons are both social justice minded young men and we need someone here like that. The job was actually offered to my father first, but my father was not a Southerner. He was from Ohio. And as we know, a lot of the events like the, the bus uh, movement, what happened with, with Rosa Parks had already started being planned. And so it made no sense to my father for him to go to a place where he was going to have to earn people's trust. And so he tells the story that way. He also says that my mother didn't want to go south of the Mason-Dixon line. He also says that he prayed and God told him that he wasn't going to go with him further than Cincinnati. So all of those things are probably true. And King got the job, which was as it should be. And the two of them just worked together. And my father sort of worked as his lieutenant out here. We tend to know more about the Southern lieutenants. But if, if you look in, uh, in archives at Stanford, at, at the King Center, at Boston University, and in my grandfather's archives at Case Western University, and my father's archives at the American Baptist Historical Society, they are all there. So he brought him in 61 to, uh, to Seattle, and they were looking for a space that was actually larger than Mount Zion Baptist Church. Went to First Presbyterian Church, which said yes, and then got scared and changed their minds. And when my father retired, the new minister of that church apologized to him for what had been done uh, those many years before. But he ended up speaking at Garfield at the University of Washington at uh, Eagles Auditorium, which is now the, which theater is it, Eddie? It's, the, uh, it's ACT, a contemporary theater. And there is a space in their main theater that shows all of the, the photographs from that time. And Temple de Hirsch. And Temple de Hirsch, that's right. Yeah. And Temple de Hirsch as well, which had always had a really uh, good relationship with my father and Mount Zion Baptist Church. Now, did, that, did Dr. McKinney get here in 1958? In yes. Seattle? Okay, because I think I was in the first batch to be baptized. Good. And, and then- That but, means you've been but, covered for a while. Yeah. No, okay. but, but my, my late father used to always ask him, are you sure you held him down long enough? Right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he did. But yes, yeah, so he, he did get here in 58. Now, one of the reasons that he ended up here actually was that his mother was, my, my paternal grandmother was named Annie Ruth Barry McKinney. And she was the first woman and the first, she was a, a mixed race woman of color, 
technically, but you know, she's, she's black, we call her black. And she was, the, so she was the first black woman who headed up a women's division in the American Baptist churches. And she was out here in Seattle on some something and went to Mount Zion and they said they needed a minister. She says, you should look at my son who was in Rhode Island at that time in Providence. So he ended up out here. And so, yes, so he took King to all of these places and to the, I don't eat meat, the house of, what was the house of barbecue? What's the name of it? Home of Good Barbecue. Home of Good Barbecue, which uh, let them stay for hours and hours into the wee hours of the morning because King liked to eat barbecue in small sort of gritty places. And they stayed there. He talked to folks out the door and the window and that kind of thing. They had to have some security things. Um, he did come to our house. And so I, you know, I'm giving away my age, but I, I do remember he, he read me a bedtime story. So he, he put me to bed. My sister had just been born and she urinated all over him. <laughs> just somehow escaped her diapers, messed up his suit. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So that, that wasn't great, but he came and he sat on the side of my bed, which no, nobody really did. My parents told me stories from the doorway and the only ex sort of a spiritual experience, but the only experience I'd had of somebody being on the side of my bed was actually my grandmother, the, the one who was the missionary American Baptist person after she died. She came into the space and uh, told me where to find her. And so he came and sat there, which made it even extra special. And I don't recall the story. I, you know, I was little. And I, I do recall asking him, because I didn't know what had happened with my sister. I asked him why he smelled like that. <laughs> he just laughed and said, well, your sister, she just, you know. Yeah. Dr. McKinney. Yeah. I need I need everybody to hold on. We need to take a break, and then we're going to have Pastor Willis on us, but I'd like to have you hold on for the, the duration of the program, if you can, because sure. I, I want to make sure that uh, the chief organizer, Lanisha DeBartlebin, gets the, uh, the, the chance to interview you and make comments herself. So sure. we're going to take a break, Eric, and we'll come right back with Pastor Willis as well. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. 
Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. We have been joined. We have Lanisha DeBartleman on the line, who is the president and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum, the main organizer of the three-day event commemorating Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s only visit to the city of Seattle in November 1961. We have Dr. Laura Ellen McKinney, who is sharing a lot of stories about the relationship between Dr. McKinney and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And they didn't just meet at Morehouse, as she explained to us. They met a long time ago. Both of their fathers were ministers, so he got hooked up real early on. And then we've been joined by the president of the United Black Christian Clergy, uh, the Reverend Lawrence R. Willis. So, Pastor Willis, how you doing? Doing great, and good afternoon, okay. everyone. I'm excited about uh, this event and commemorations and partnering uh, with the African American Museum. Uh, Sister Lanisha is doing a great job there, so I'm here to support and continue the legacy of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King here in the Seattle area. Well, we thank you, Pastor Willis, and all of the United Black Christian Clergy of Washington for being a part of this three-day commemoration. You all are leading the way on Sunday, the day that we are honoring Dr. King's spiritual leadership legacy. So we thank you all for uh, leading with prayers and words of inspiration and presence for our community at this time. It is an honor and a privilege uh, to be uh, with you on that day and to continue um, his legacy here in Seattle. We also have Dr. Laura Ellen uh, McKinney on the line with us, uh, too, Pastor Willis. All right. All right. It's an honor to have her on as well. Thank you. And I just um, um, want to say thank you for allowing your dad to mentor so many of us as clergy and me personally because we know that takes away time from the family when uh, pastors uh, share around the country and with us locally. So I want to say thank you for uh, allowing your father to uh, mentor us and be with us here in, in the state of Washington. Thank you. Well, well Pastor, what, I just want to oh, go right ahead, uh, Laura Allen, go right ahead. No, no, I just, I, I just, said, you're welcome. I didn't know that there was another way to grow up, right? So, <laughs> right. Yes, yes. So I yes, wanted to see, uh, Lanisha had mentioned uh, the United Black Christian Clergy. So, Lanisha, do you have any uh, comments about uh, the United Black Christian Clergy or uh, uh, the exact uh, or, uh, activities that they will be involved in? I know Pastor Wills will be involved with all of them, but I was just wondering if there's something we want to share with our listeners some of the clergy we might not have contacted or we want to come out and support our clergy. Absolutely, yes. The clergy will uh, be gathering with uh, Mr. King uh, during one of the events on that Monday when he is here. And it's just uh, such a, a momentous time for the spiritual leaders, the leaders of faith, 
to come together to really uh, pray over our regional community, to give a sense of, of hope and uh, love and uh, a spirit of, you know, resistance, resisting things that we, um, that are not good for our community. It's the clergy that really helped to shine a light uh, on our path forward. And so we thank you, Pastor Willis and all the clergy for truly living up to the um, ideals of leadership that Dr. King set for us. I want to see if Dr. Laura Allen McKinney has a further question or comment. I'm just, I'm just thankful to, to be here. It's a, it's an important event. It's an important commemoration and time and I am thankful to all of you for recognizing how important it is and for including me. Okay, and you heard about uh, about all the events, right? So we will make sure that you get all the information about all the events and then that way, because you know people are gonna be asking Dr. Laurel McKinney what's going on with anything dealing with the King family. So we wanna make sure you direct them to the right place. So I'll make sure that uh, Ladisha's, her and her, her team send you the information. So that way you can have that. And you already might have it. Let me be going to be presumptuous. You might have it already. <laughs> and Dr. McKinney, I would love for you to talk just real briefly about um, your and your sister's relationship with the King children uh, growing up and, and throughout your years. Have you all had uh, direct friendship, conversation, relationship as the children of these two remarkable leaders of faith? I lived in Atlanta for a bit, and Mrs. King uh, threw me a, a picnic uh, with hot dogs and was then horrified to find out I was vegetarian. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, she was so, so with her and, um, and Dr. King's sister, uh, Christine, while she was alive, and his uh, brother. Um, with the older kids, though, they they wouldn't remember, and you know we've lost one of them. But I mean, we were all much younger then, right? So when I was thirteen, fourteen, um, spent some time with them uh, in the company of Reverend Dr. Kelly Miller Smith, Sr., who was at that point my father's very best friend, and was. Uh, over in Nashville church with his, where his son now is. So he was one of Dr. King's lieutenants in Nashville and had the same impact there that my father has had here. So I spent time with him and his kids and the King kids. Uh, we're winding down time. I want to see if Pastor Willis has anything before we have to go, Pastor Willis. Yes, sir. Um, I'm just, um, thankful to be able to partner with the museum and the museum reaching out uh, to the uh, Christian community because we know with Martin Luther King as standing as a spiritual leader in most of the activities and rallies that uh, he spearheaded came out of the church. So we have to always know where our foundation is. And so I, I want to thank the museum for reaching um, out to United Black Clergy and the Christian community on this event because it's very important to have that be the forefront the spiritual uh leadership of dr Mc, uh, of dr king and also how the churches play a big part 
uh, and um, pushing the battle forward and being the foundation. So thank you again, and thank you, Eddie, for uh, allowing us to be on and, and allowing me to be able to say a couple of words. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Pastor Willis. And Dr. Laura Ellen McKinney, we want to thank you, and hopefully we'll see you during some of the festivities. I'll be on Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Lanisha, thank you very much uh, uh, for an outstanding uh, uh, effort in putting together this whole thing together, you and your team, because uh, they're all real good people. Like I saw, like I say, and you guys work real well together. So I uh, want to thank all of you very much today. And uh, we'll Expect be seeing you. Uh, a, a COVID, Eddie. They're doing this in a, in a COVID. Yeah. Thank you yeah, all. But, with, with community. Thank you all yeah, so yeah. much. But to go to the University of Washington, you got to have a, a, your your card or either a, a proof of a test. So, and then you also have to have a ticket. So you check with uh, Nam to get that information. So thank you very much, everybody. We appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Okay. So before we go, I want to give a shout out to our uh, sponsors, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, me and Rice and uh, Lawrence Coleman. Uh, Sound Transit, Leslie Jones, Chief of Labor, and Jonte Robinson, uh, Director of the Office of Civil Rights, City Purchasing and Construction Services, Liz Alzier, Carmen, and Carol Wong. And uh, there are a lot of folks uh, that have passed away, and uh, they're my friends, people I grew up with and know. And so this one gentleman I've been on over 65 years, his name is King Mays, and uh King's funeral service will be on Wednesday at Washelli, uh, November 10th. I got to get a shout out to the Snowden family. Connie Bones, younger sister, uh, Linda Roberson, has passed away. And her funeral services will be uh, on uh, November 9th at 11 o'clock a.m. at uh, uh, New Beginnings Christian uh, uh, Fellowship. And then uh, the, the bum will be Willie Briscoe Ray, uh, he also will be funeralized on uh, November 10th at Wednesday at Greater Mount Baker uh, Baptist Church. And then my lifelong friend, uh, his wife has departed, Devota Marie Lewis, uh, the wife of uh, Ulysses Lewis. Been a tough year. His son died earlier this year. And her funeral service will be uh, on uh, at the Seed of Abraham Church on Wednesday as well, November 10th at 11 o'clock a.m. Seed of Abraham is at 246 Wells, and that's in, in Renton, Washington. So I want to thank everybody today, but I have to give a shout out to these folks that I know that's passed away, and I'm praying for all of them uh, that they find comfort in the Lord. So thank everybody very much for today, and I'll see you all over the weekend. Thanks, Eric.